the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. A conversation related to the issue of character. One that at many levels seems to sort of strangely have disappeared from our nation. It could be argued that there was a, a turning point, perhaps politically so, uh, with the election of Bill Clinton back in 1992, that it became apparently less important for voters to have somebody that um, was an individual of high integrity and demonstrated character. Uh, but then again, there's been a slow, steady march out of the notion of value and integrity and character for a long time in our country. Go back into the 1960s, we begin to see a significant paradigm shift where we've suddenly gone from understanding and accepting that there is truth and that there is truth absolutely to questioning even the existence of very truth itself. This, I think, is ultimately having a profound impact on not just the body politic, but the overall condition of America today. So we're going to spend some time in the next half hour, talking about the issue of character and answering the question, or maybe making the assertion, that yes, character still counts. A new book by that title has just been written by our guest tonight. He is a pastor, author, and past president of the Southern Baptist Convention. You're probably familiar with his ministry, Touching Lives, a television program seen nationwide and in an additional 122 countries. He has been a popular voice on issues of faith and leadership on everything from Fox News to Time Magazine, 60 Minutes, and so on. We're joined now by Dr. James Merritt. The book, Character Still Counts, It Is Time to Restore Our Lasting Values. And Dr. Merritt, thanks so much for being with us today. Craig, the honor is mine. Thank you for having me. Wow. You know, this is interesting because we live in a day and an age when we seem to have embraced a significant paradigm shift where we engage in more relationships on a transactional level than we really do on a values level. Now, certainly when I was a kid growing up, um, instilled in me was the notion that the people that you hang out with should be people that are honest that are hardworking, the people that influence your life should be those that set a good example through their stewardship, through their participation in everything from uh, being a good member of the community and a good citizen to being faithful at church attendance and certainly being a person of of character. Um, Oddly enough, though, the, the shift to sort of a, well, we have a relationship not based on how good you are, honest you are, or valuable you are from a character standpoint, but rather what I can get out of you seems to be where we've we've been headed as a nation for a couple of generations now, don't you think? Well, no question about it. And I, I'll tell you, for some of your listeners may remember, Craig, but years ago there was a great tennis player named Andre Agassi. And there was a camera company that's no longer in existence, but they did a series of ads in a campaign that was really very effective. And, and the theme of the ads was uh, image is everything. 
And I believe, Craig, to your point, that our culture has definitively bought into that. That, uh, you know, we see it even with politicians in the, in the 60 second soundbite, uh, making sure that their, you know, their pictures are airbrushed and making sure that, you know, from a public persona, regardless of what they may be privately, that, you know, they're hitting on all eight cylinders. And, and the truth of the matter is, I believe it really has been to our detriment because image is not everything. Character is everything. Reputation is not what's most important about us. It is our character that really counts. Indeed so. And certainly that's the lesson that we learn from Scripture. Um, sadly, apparently, understanding and application of Scripture <laughs> is not, not a requirement for public office. And, and sadly, we're finding on a growing basis because of biblical illiteracy and a decline in, in true biblical um, discipleship even in the church today that, that the notions of, of, of upholding, celebrating, and even mentoring what real character is seems to be on the decline. And especially in our homes, and, and, and this is one reason why, believe it or not, the book's not even, I would say, primarily for leaders, though I hopefully leaders will read it, but it really is a book for moms and dads and parents who are trying to hopefully mentor and model for their children uh, what character really is all about. And, you know, you said something, Craig, and I would say this even as your listening audience who may not be believers, and may not believe the Bible is divine scripture as we are, as we do. But I will tell you one thing I challenge people to do. If you will read scripture, and you'll read it simply from the point of view of what it teaches in terms of morality and ethics and character, I've never met anyone yet that was the poorer for reading it and applying its principles. Because what I have found, and it's not the reason I'm a believer, but it's the result of being a believer, I have found, believe it or not, Craig, that the Bible works. It really is true. For example, uh, Solomon said, if you want to have friends, be a friend. Well, we've found that to be true. Uh, the, the scriptures teach very plainly that what's more important than knowledge is wisdom. Knowledge can get you in trouble. Wisdom will keep you out of it. So to your point, I just want to just say amen and say, you know, there is so much we can learn from scripture on how to be better parents, how to be better neighbors, how to be better citizens, how to be better public leaders if we just read it and believe it, and live it. Sometimes people shy away from the notion of engaging in integrity because they recognize that there's a cost to it, that sometimes to be a man or a woman of integrity means that you may lose friends, you may not be the most popular person, um, there can be a lot of ways in which people shy away from you because you're willing not to uh, to play the game, so to speak. But at the end of the day, from a biblical standpoint, Dr. Merritt, is integrity and the exercising thereof something that we should be compelled to do to please the Lord regardless of the cost? Well, I'll even go larger than that. I, the answer is yes, but let me give you a longer answer. When I was asked to do the book by my publisher, there were two things I insisted on. I said, I, I, want to, I know what I want the first chapter to be, and I know what I want the last chapter to be. And it's not coincidental that when, for those that will pick up the book, the very first character trait I talk about is integrity. And the reason is I believe that integrity is the foundation of all character. No matter what else is true, Craig, when you read the list of character traits I talk about, if, if, if you do not have, if you're not a person of integrity, uh, then one thing is for certain, most of the rest of these character traits will never, ever come uh, into fruition. So, you know, I, I talk about that integrity is simply always doing the right thing at the right time in the right place 
regardless of the cost or the consequences. And the reason why a lot of people uh, are, are so willing to forsake integrity is because we're living in a day and age where you can make Mark this out as a guarantee, whether it's in the business world or the entertainment world or the financial world or the political world. If you determine that you're going to be a person of integrity, you will have to pay a price and you will incur a cost. Our visit with Dr. James Merritt, author of a new book called Character Still Counts. It is time to restore our lasting values. We pause on that point. We'll come back to more of the conversation. When we come back, let's wrestle through the question, what does character matter if we're pleased with the outcome? That is our visit today with best-selling author, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Dr. James Merritt, continues. Let's get you updated on traffic from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Character still counts, though it might arguably be seemingly on the endangered species list in our culture and society today. Welcome back to the conversation with us as best-selling author, pastor, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Dr. James Merritt. The new book, by the way, newly published by Harvest House, available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it through the broadcast ministry of touchinglives.org. That's the name of Dr. Merritt's television program, Touching Lives. And again, the website, touchinglives.org. Let's say, for example, Dr. Merritt, we have a business, a large corporation, and we're, uh, we're trying to make gold here. We recognize that if we make gold in the quarter, uh, that means that the big company is going to give us some bonuses. There's one or two people on staff that are kind of struggling, and boy, that bonus money would mean everything in the world to them. So a leader decides, you know, we're going to take some of the sales that are actually slated for the next quarter, and we're going to artificially move them into this quarter um, in order to essentially puff up the numbers so that it gives the appearance that we've reached goal. Now, certainly we'll be a little shy in the next quarter, but we've got three months to worry about that. The key is that we want to get the numbers up this month, this quarter, so that we can get those bonuses. Some people look at that with sort of a sense, I think, of um, situational ethics and would say, well, at the end of the day, Dr. Merritt, what does it matter for character if we are, in the end, pleased with the outcome? Well, because the end, frankly and honestly, does not justify the means, because the truth of the matter is uh, you didn't reach your goal. Uh, You may lie to yourself, but there's, there's one person you can't lie to. You can't lie to God. And there's a verse in the Scripture that says, be sure your sin will find you out. And you you know how this works, Craig. A hundred percent of the time, eventually, this will catch up with you. If you don't believe it, I talk about a man in the book, Bernie Madoff. Everybody knows that name. Go talk to him about that very uh, example and ask him this question. How did it work out for him? Not so well. There's an old saying that is still true and it will always be true. Honesty truly is the best policy, because at the end of the day, you have to live with yourself, and you have to live with what you know is true about you and what God knows is true about you. 
You know, when I was growing up as a young man and these sort of moral dilemmas would would present themselves, uh, quite often my father would say, well, you know, here are the reasons why, and it would go through a sort of a laundry list of of what was, uh, you know, proper from a social acceptability standpoint, what was proper from a biblical standpoint. Um, and, And ultimately, he would typically end by saying, and in the end, it's the right thing to do. Sadly, that mentality of taking that approach to say, you know what, sometimes it may be more expedient to make a decision that's not honorable, to uh, a sort of abandon character, to dispense with integrity, to look the other way. Sometimes, though, at the end of the day, it just comes down to being a matter of doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I wonder if maybe part of the problem here is, Dr. Merritt, as in the the fictitious example I cited, that we tend to sometimes, rather than take God at face value and his word at face value, we want to sort of negotiate here. We want to say, well, on one hand, the Bible says this, but, you know, on the other hand... And then we sort of come up with this often, you know, made up out of thin air laundry list of all of the reasons why we're going to negotiate our way into convincing ourselves that in spite of everything appearing to be wrong and inappropriate, we do it anyway because we've negotiated our way into it. Well, Greg, you you give a great uh, point, make a great point that I want to gladly speak to. And that is, yes. Are there seemingly ambiguities in Scripture and things that you have to work out from time to time? Yes. But here's the cold, hard truth. Just take the Ten Commandments. Let's say you had nothing else in the Old Testament but the Ten Commandments. The sad thing for many people, Craig, is that the Ten Commandments are just plain. They're not hard to understand. A five-year-old child, a six-year-old child can understand the Ten Commandments. And one of those, of course, is you shall not lie. You shall not bear false witness. And, and the truth of the matter is, when it comes to morality and ethics and the kind of character that God demands, the Scripture does not stammer and it does not stutter. It is extremely very, very plain. And, and, and in fact, I would go ahead to say this. This is why even the very person and existence of God is so important. It was Dostoevsky, the great Russian, who said, without God, everything is permissible. And the reason why people who deny God better be careful that they don't get what they ask for is apart from God, here's the cold, hard truth. If there is no God, there is no right, there is no wrong. It's all a matter of personal opinion. And at the end of the day, everybody can really get away with anything. But if there is a God, no one gets away with anything, including compromising your own character. Certainly there are countless reasons demonstrated throughout Scripture that low character has a high cost, and you talk about it throughout the book. We sometimes tend to, I think, um, going back to my previous comment about negotiating our way through things, we tend to sometimes pick and choose uh, which standards we wish to follow. We might say, well, you know, uh, so-and-so is, is, is dishonest in these areas, and we know he cheats on his wife, but, you know, um, he, he's one of the best salespeople we've ever seen, or, boy, he sure knows how to deliver on his promises. Is there such a thing as a sliding scale in God's world when it comes to character, or, or are we incumbent uh, to, to show ourselves faithful to the whole counsel of the Word? Well, you've answered your own question. It's obviously the latter, and I would say this. The problem with that analogy, as you well know, Craig, is this. 
a man may be a great salesman. For example, let's just take one character trait in the book, perseverance. Maybe this guy's a great salesman because where everybody else quits, he'll make one more knock on a door. He'll make one more phone call. He'll take one more appointment. So his sales are up. But at what cost? He, he has no integrity. He's not honest. His pride has overtaken him. He's not even loyal to his own wife, or he's not even loyal to his, to his own family or his own company. He's lost all respect for himself, therefore he can't really respect others. He's not authentic. He's a fraud, fraud, and he's a fake. And you can just go right down the list and see, yeah, there may be that one little bright speck in the picture, but the big picture as as a whole is nothing but mud and dirt on canvas. In the book, Character Still Counts, you refer to the 92 shifts that we saw politically with Clinton's election and, and certainly borne out by his his reelection post everything that had gone on with impeachment and uh, Monica Lewinsky at all. Uh, and you, you quote a political pundit saying, and, and sort of, a, I, I think, a, 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 a bit of a, a black eye for America, that if it's a choice between bad character and good economic news, good economic news will always win. Um, and, and certainly if this is true in the body politic on a national level, I have to wonder, um, if judgment begins in the house of the Lord, are we going to be held accountable when we allow our own character to be for sale? Uh, we're going to be held even more accountable because you said it. judgment does begin at the house of God. And I would say this to every believer that's listening. A true believer not only must hold themselves to a higher standard, Craig, a true believer will have a burning desire in their heart to hold themselves to a higher character, which is why judgment does begin at the house of God. Where else would we expect it to begin? At the very place where God holds us most accountable, which is his own people in his own church. A sobering look at, quite frankly, what ought to be um, an indictment on all of us, for all of us, I think, uh, in, in every level, in every aspect uh, of life, we need to count the cost and um, realize that, um, you know, uh, in integrity and character does come with the cost, uh, but the rewards from a scriptural and biblical viewpoint are out of this world. The book is called Character Still Counts. It's time to restore our lasting values Newly published by Harvest House. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Again, I'll also mention that it's available directly through uh, the website of Dr. Merritt's ministry online at touchinglives.org. That's touchinglives.org. Dr. Merritt, thanks so much for the time and the insights. The honor was mine. God bless you, sir. Take care now. There's Dr. James Merritt. The new book, Character Still Counts. You bet it does. Let's get a look at traffic for you right now. We head over to the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Interesting research that's out that I suspect if you look at the world around us here in the United States and read the headlines with any frequency, you'd probably see that, uh, yeah, this this sort of rings true, at least um, spiritually speaking. Um, We take an examination of what's going on within the 
evangelical church today, and um, George Barna, of course, who's done a wonderful job down through the years documenting trends within uh, the Christian world in general and, and evangelicalism in specific down through the years. Um, more recently, a uh, one of his surveys coming out that demonstrates, and this ought to set all of us back on our heels that identify as evangelicals, that less than five of us um, in a typical church are personally involved with evangelism. And a typical church, by the way, that identifies as evangelical in nature, <laughs> less than 2% of their budget is dedicated to, you guessed it, evangelism. So when you take the evangel out of evangelical or evangelism, what are you left with? And what about the mandate to the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's time for some re-examination as to whether or not we are engaged in the kind of reach that we ought to be. My uh, guest here in this segment of the program probably grows weary of being introduced as the gentleman who's the president of the organization that runs the Christian radio station in Quito, Ecuador. But the irony, of course, is that um, given the 80-plus year incredible outreach that this ministry has had uh, through radio and other means, uh, that's probably not a bad thing to be referenced to. He is Wayne Pedersen. He is president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, and he's got a new book of the same title, Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And Wayne, great to have you on the program. Well, thanks, Greg. It's a privilege to be on with you on on, uh, this afternoon and uh, share a little bit about what God is doing in extraordinary ways around the world with the whole global shift from uh, the, the real evangelism and missions that has shifted to the global south. And the greatest growth of the Church today is not in Europe and North America, but in places like South America, Asia, and Africa. And it's amazing, too, and maybe a big wake-up call for those of us here in, in the Christian West, whether we're talking about Europe or, or North America, that we kind of think that uh, we're sort of the standard-bearer, the, the paradigm-setter for um, what evangelicalism or evangelism rather ought to look like. And, 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 and certainly while you know we've played a significant role down through the years, God has been doing some exciting things in some exciting ways that are maybe perhaps by uh, – well, by Western standards, a little bit out of the norm, and yet very much within his norm. Well, it was 100 years ago that 90% of uh, followers of Jesus lived in North America or Europe, and those numbers have almost reversed in the last 100 years, where now about 70% of believers live outside of the North America and Europe. Uh, they're in Africa, where the Church is growing uh, fantastically, in Asia and Latin America, and now many of those countries are sending missionaries back to North America to some of the immigrants that have come into our country from these other countries. And uh, the top mission-sending country in the world is Brazil. The second most uh, mission-sending country is Korea. So we're seeing kind of the reverse flow of missionary activity coming back to this country. And as our country becomes more and more secular and materialistic, we're seeing uh, God working in, in previously unreached places of the world. Let's talk about how that paradigm shift has taken place, and, and most notably, perhaps, what we as the Church in America um, and and the West can learn from it. Uh, I mean, there's always kind of been a, a pattern to the way we have engaged in outreach and evangelism. I think, for example, of, of some of the history of HCJB and kind of taking the, the approach of going into all the world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
in the case of this, using radio as a means to most effectively across those borders and accomplish all of that. And yet today, even as much as we've seen a changing face of what evangelical Christianity looks like around the globe, even the ministry of, um, well, now Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, that's even changed a bit too, hasn't it? Well, our strategy is much different where uh, we used to be very Ecuador-centric, Quito-centric, and we brought missionaries in from all over the world to go to Quito and then use shortwave broadcasting to send the message to places like uh, Europe, Russia, Africa, Asia. Today, the strategy is much more working with local partners, training indigenous people that know the language and know the culture. Most everything we do at Reach Beyond today is through a local partner. And because they're already there and they can live on $100 a month, which is the average salary, and because they already know the language and the culture, they don't have to go to language school. They don't have to take 10 years to learn the culture. And with the right equipment and the right training, uh, they can reach their peers with the gospel of Christ. Even as we speak, we have a team over in the most populous Muslim country in the world, in Indonesia, and they're training about 28 young media professionals on how to own and run and manage a radio station. And when we leave, those 28 new, newly trained leaders will be uh, reaching their countrymen, and they're seeing those stations are seeing an average of three to five people a day come to Christ at each of their stations. And churches are being planted throughout Indonesia, and Former Muslims are leading other Muslims to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, Imams are uh, becoming followers of Jesus and teaching about Jesus in the mosque. And it's an amazing thing that is happening as Christianity is spreading rapidly into these former countries that were strongholds for other false religions. Well, and as you indicate, Wayne, I mean, while the message is the same, it is timeless of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his um, substitutionary work on the cross on behalf of my, mankind that we might be reconciled unto the Father. Um, that That has never changed. But the methodology uh, is changing. And I, and I would wonder what the likes of a Hudson Taylor, uh, who was so uh, responsible in the 1800s for bringing the gospel to China, uh, would think of the indigenous church in China today that is largely all run by nationals. I mean, we know that there are certainly no uh, no missionary schools there. There are no seminaries there. There are, uh, at least of, of the ones that are above ground, the legal ones, the three self-church movement is all controlled by the government, and yet here you are with a nation that is largely devoid of much of the way that we do, quote-unquote, church in the West. It's one of the fastest-growing churches on planet Earth, and it's all being done at the hands of nationals. Isn't it interesting, Craig, how, uh, I mean, it's always been true, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and some of the fastest-growing spread of Christianity in the world are in countries where there is persecution. And uh, one outstanding example is Iran, where uh, 25 years ago they could identify only about 400 believers. And today, and largely through social media, using uh, Skype and texting and Facebook and other means, plus uh, broadcasting the gospel from outside of the country with medium wave, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians, and Iran is the fastest-growing Christian country in the world, percentage-wise. And some of the stand countries where there's heavy persecution, the Church is uh, multiplying in fantastic ways. So persecution doesn't seem to stop 
the growth of the church. In fact, it's just the opposite. Where there is opposition in places, uh, we're working in a place like Nepal, which uh, six years ago was a Hindu-controlled government, and the Maoists came in and overthrew that government, established a democratic republic, and now we're able to go in and start radio stations and health clinics in a country that was formerly completely closed to the gospel. So these are amazing days we're living in today, and God has given us these amazing media tools, uh, not only radio, but satellite and Internet and social media, with which we can share Christ in some of the most uh, formerly closed places of the world. And of course, this all gives an underlying lesson, perhaps, uh, a wake-up call of sorts to the church in the West um, for ourselves and the enormous amount of missions work that we have to do, uh, not necessarily overseas, while that's certainly um, on the the to-do list, um, more and more so right here at home. I'll never forget years ago uh, running into a group of um, Christians that uh, were in China and uh, in the course of conversation asked them what uh, they felt the Lord had called them to do. And uh, without exception, uh, each and every one of these um, young college-age individuals indicated that they felt God had called them to be missionaries to the United States. Uh, What an amazing turn of events where in the 1800s here, uh, um, the likes of Hudson Taylor were traveling to China, bring the gospel message, and now um, the very fruit of his labor, a hundred and something years later, now feels burdened to turn around and come to the United States to bring the gospel message here. One of the things that uh, we strive to do at Reach Beyond, and that's kind of the the whole underlying theory of the book, Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ, is to call the Church of Jesus Christ in North America to a stronger commitment to reach the unreached. Uh, I was involved, uh, as you may know, uh, Craig, in Christian radio for many, many years in this uh, country until uh, God called me to this work six years ago, and the verse God used was Romans 15:20, where Paul said, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where the name of Christ is not known. So in our book, we have what we're calling our mission manifesto, and it's a call to action to ourselves and to the Church in this country. Uh, for example, we state, We refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ, when we can share the good news that transforms them through the media they use. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ died suffer in pain and poverty, when we can help restore them in His name. And we say, We refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people, when common sense is protect yourself and stay in your comfort zone, we put on the armor of God and storm the gates of hell for the sake of the unreached, if that's what's required. Our conversation today with Wayne Peterson, we're talking about um, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mandate here in the 21st century to go into all the world, and um, how in many respects, while the message clearly remains the same, the methodology is changing. What are some of the lessons that we can learn here at home in America? A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Uh, Wayne Peterson is with us today. He is president of Reach Beyond. You know the ministry uh, commonly as uh, HCJB, located in Quito, Ecuador. Of course, this ministry has been global and impacting the world for Christ for a better part of 80-plus-something oh, years now. 
Wayne has written a new book called Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And as we were articulating prior to the break, while clearly the message of the gospel, the hope of Christ, remains the same, the methodology of how that message is communicated and delivered has changed uh, quite significantly. And and the interesting thing is we've seen this paradigm shift, uh, Wayne, in the mission field, where now really it's largely the, the tremendous success of nationals uh, that are leading to this almost um, uh, wildfire of of uh, growth of the church in, in many parts of the world, there might be some important lessons that we here in the West can draw from what we're seeing happening in, in places like Central and South America, Asia, China, elsewhere. Well, absolutely. And uh, we are learning from our friends in places like Asia, Africa, and South America. In some ways, they put us to shame with their boldness uh, in parts of North Africa where we work and help deliver programs uh, through uh, satellite. Uh, We have local partners on the ground that work below the radar, and we don't identify them in any way. Often we disguise their voices. But if I were there, I would be praying like mad for protection. You know what they pray for, Craig? They pray for boldness, Mm. not safety. And we're so safety conscious in this country, but in that part of the world, they, they just pray, Lord, make us bold in our witness, and they don't take any unnecessary chances. But uh, last year we had one of our radio uh, producers that uh, was turned into the authorities. They arrested him, put him in jail. Uh, In jail, somebody recognized his voice from the radio broadcast and beat him because he was a follower of Jesus. And through a series of miracles, he was released in a couple of months and returned to his family. Uh, The stories don't always end that way. We know that there are people that are arrested, beaten, and sometimes killed because they follow Jesus. Uh, One of our uh, radio partners in that part of the world was listening to one of our broadcasts uh, on satellite, and his father discovered that he was uh, listening and on the website and said, Son, do you really believe this stuff? And he says, Yes, Father, I do. He didn't deny it. He just said, Yes, I believe it. And he beat his son, threw him out of the house uh, with only what he had on his back. And that young man, uh, going through the streets half-naked at night, uh, no home, no family, there was a light on in a house, and in a country that's less than 1% Christian, knocked at the door and a Christian family took him in and uh, healed his wounds and fed him and clothed him and got him into school. Today, this young man is producing programs for us in the Arabic language and reaching his countrymen. I mentioned earlier, uh, we often digitally disguise the voices of those so they won't be recognized. We offer to disguise his voice, and he says, No, I've already been beaten for following Jesus. You can let my voice go out as it is. So this is why I think we can learn something. You know, we have social persecution in this country, and we feel we're discriminated against, and that's true. However, in many parts of the world, uh, becoming a follower of Jesus can cost you your family, your job, or even your life. Yeah, ironically, it is more of a picture of what the first century church looked like. Um, than certainly anything that we've known of recent years, and 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 maybe perhaps that sense of of purpose that is motivated by uh, results, motivated by a passion for Christ and a desire to serve Him above above all else, um, is exactly what the Lord wants of us in in these uh, these times when uh, there's a better part of what almost two and a half billion people 
that have yet to hear the gospel message. And we know that while certainly a lot of them lie in that that all-critical 1040 window, uh, growing numbers of them are right here at home, right here as our next-door neighbors in North America, aren't they? Well, and that's the other thing we can learn uh, in this country, because the mission field is now coming to us. And many of the immigrants that are coming to this country, I don't know how you feel about the immigration issue, but many are coming, and they are interested in our culture. Many are coming from Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and finding Christ in this country because they're interested in the culture. Many that are coming are already believers and are starting churches, and they have come to this country to escape persecution or to have a better life and starting churches and reaching other immigrants with the gospel. So uh, I don't think uh, the, the story is over for the United States of America. I think we're going to see a spiritual harvest come here as uh, the rest of the world reaches out to our very materialistic, hedonistic, secular society in this country. Yeah, and as you point out, the mission field is literally coming to us, and the amazing thing is that then God can use this as these people influence their friends um, and family members back home, wherever their nation of origin might be, and we see the continuing cycle of the outreach of the gospel. Uh, great book, and if you'd like to get more information about it, um, you can do so by going to reachbeyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. Take a moment, if you would, Wayne, as our time winds down together, and tell us a bit about the I Refuse campaign. Well, the uh, I referred to that a bit earlier. The I Refuse is our mission manifesto, and if you go to our website, you'll be able to read that manifesto. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight points. And we're looking for 100,000 followers of Jesus that will go online and sign that manifesto. And the I Refuse campaign is we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ when we can share the good news that transform them. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ dies suffer in pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. We refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people. We'll put on the armor of God and pray for the unreached uh, so that more may come to know Jesus. And if you want to know more about the I Refuse, this is a call to the Church in America to take a stand, to share the good news with the dark places around the world. And we invite many of your listeners to your show, Craig, that they would go online and sign this manifesto and make that commitment to reach the unreached around the world and even across the street. And again, information available on the web at reachbeyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. Wayne's new book, by the way, of a similar title. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, through Amazon.com, and of course, through reachbeyond.org. Wayne Pedersen, president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB. Thank you for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.